So Flip, I uh, I hear you went to a funeral this weekend. I, I did actually. I went to a funeral. Yeah, I'm I sorry did. to hear that. Uh, don't be. It was for the Red Sox. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I'm sorry, folks. Oh, that's <laughs> awful. You're awful. Uh, yeah, I have my moments. Well, I'm just, just I'm teasing, but but the Red Sox are in serious trouble now. The Yankees put them in some. A sweep will do that, and that's what happened. But don't you think it's funny though? It was last week when we were recording. Yeah, we were talking about when the Yankees lost to the Red Sox in Boston. Yeah, yeah. what a difference a week makes. Yeah, totally. But I mean, something happens to the Yankees. They they sort of jump started themselves, and uh, and they just they really did take advantage of some terrible pitching. The Red Sox were just terrible. I mean, you, I mean, uh, Sale was awful. Price was miserable. The bullpen was a joke. I mean, that, that was their weakness. It isn't their, their strength is their hitting. It's even with guys having off years, some of those guys, they're still a great hitting team. But their their weakness really screamed, and it was pitching. They really got hurt by it. Yeah, which goes back to the conversation we had last week. Why don't you make a move? Get a pitcher. Get somebody in that bullpen. But they didn't do it. And you saw the Yankees' offense take advantage of that. Totally. The good news is, it's like, what are you going to do now? How are you going to get a pitcher now? Well, now you can't anymore. Well, Yes, that's the rumor. You can't. That's, that's correct. starting this year. You cannot. That's correct. So that makes the event actually it's a great day for baseball because you have to declare: Are you a buyer or are you a seller? Because right. everybody wants to know. And if you don't buy, buy anything, why? What do you mean you didn't buy anything? We need something bought. We need help. I mean, that's not always the best way to, to accomplish this this way. But the fans get into it, and that makes it more interesting. Therefore, it's it's kind of a great event. It really is. I, I thoroughly enjoy it. Well, I don't know what they call it. You know, declaration day. How about that? I don't know what they call it, but it's great. Yeah, awesome. the trade deadline's a lot better. Somebody who yeah. wasn't a seller was uh, the Giants with Madison Bumgarner. That might come back to haunt them. Possibly. Somebody, yeah. Sure. Somebody who was a buyer with the Mets. Oh, yeah. With Marcus Stroman. I heard. I heard. Um, but Stroman's we talked, a good pitcher. Stroman is a good pitcher. Yeah, that's, I that like pitching, pitching staff became better. Oh, yeah. Their pitching staff's coming alive now. I mean, they, they had a lot of the same pitchers. They just didn't pitch very well. and uh, But they've come alive in the last week or so, and, and – uh, now they got Stroman in there. I mean, they're formidable. They're, they're, they've got a formidable pitching staff. No, they're playing well. Um, they're not playing as well as the Yankees. Nine no, no. of their last ten. Yes, that's correct. Like you said, though, they went up against some pretty shoddy pitching. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what they did in Baltimore, I don't care who you're, who's pitching. Right. That was amazing. What they do in Baltimore? They hit a bunch of home <laughs> runs. I think they're they're still hitting home runs. <laughs> they're hitting it from the dugout. I mean. The ball just travels in that ballpark, and the Yankees just took advantage of some really, I'm sorry, it's some terrible pitching. And, you know, I've been saying all along, it, it's, it, I, I don't want to, I don't mean to diminish, but one second what the Yankees have done. I think they've done an incredible job. I think it's epic. And it should go down to Yankee annals what they've done. But having said that, it's, I don't know if the Yankees are this good or these, some of these teams are that bad. Some of these teams are terrible. I'm sorry. I, mean, I, I, I just the way I feel. I, 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 I you don't have to apologize. The Orioles are terrible. I mean, they really are a bad baseball yeah. team. And, you know, uh, all, and they've got a quarter or two guys who have had talent. But for the most part, it's like a lot, and then there's a lot of the other guys that are 23 or so. They probably have some talent. I just haven't seen it. It hasn't shown up. I mean, I don't get I don't get how you could be this bad. Some of these teams could be this bad. Well, what other teams are that bad? Because I, I don't think there's a ton of bad. Like, I think the Blue Jays are okay. Wait, well, I don't mean just the American League East. I'm talking about baseball okay. in general. 
I mean, there's a lot of there's a there's a couple of half teams. We know what the half teams are. The Yankees are really really good. The the uh, the uh, up here, Astros. Right? The Ast- Astros are great. The Astros are, are terrific. Minnesota is vastly improved. The Rays are for- formidable. I mean, the Rays are a good baseball. I team. love the Rays. I do too. They're pesky. They're fun. They, love they it. scratch. They play hardball. I mean, not going to win, but but they play hard. Yeah. And you know, and you know, so the, I mean, and Toronto Cleveland. is improving now. I mean, but having said those things, there's only two or three. There's like three or four teams in the American League that I could sit there and say like, these are good base, solid, solid top to bottom baseball teams. Right, but the only ones that I think you can say are bad, yeah, like flat out bad, are the Orioles. Maybe the Tigers. Tigers are terrible. <laughs> I mean, they're not, they're not flat out, but they're off. The Royals. The, Royals, that's the it. Royals aren't very good. That's where you stop, right? Really? The Angels are pretty good. To, to do what? They have Mike Trout. Right, that's pretty good, Shohei. Okay, Shohei. Keep going. It's a good team. That's <laughs> <laughs> two <good> players. <laughs> uh, Trout is great. Trout's going to win the MVP again. Oh, poor Trout. I mean, Trout then should just retire the MVP and give it to Trout. Yeah, He's going to play his whole career there, and, and what? What are, they, what are they doing with him? What's he get out of it? Nothing. He gets to be the best player in the game, and people know it. People have never even seen him play. Say, oh, Trout's the best player. Did you ever see him play? No. Because he plays on the West Coast. The, the difference in time difference really hurts. And we play games at night, right? So 10 o'clock starts in the East. Most people are in bed. I mean, I'm particularly not. I'm always up. But most people aren't. They're not. They, yeah. it, they, it gets hurt. I mean, it hurts Trout. It does. It I mean, I think his too. pocketbook is going to be fine. Well, yeah, I'm sure. I mean, he, <laughs> he, he's, he's the best player. He should get paid like the best player. I want to go back to Baltimore a little bit. Let me give you these numbers. I don't like Baltimore. In Camden Yards, the Yankees hit, in 10 games, yeah. 43 home runs. Is that unusual? It's a record. It is. It's a, more than a record. It's an album. It's like <laughs> it's a CD. It's a CD. Like forty-three. Wow. Well, yeah, that's amazing, right? Yeah, it's an amazing number. The Giants, San Francisco Giants, yeah. in their own ballpark. Right. They played fifty-five games. Right. They've hit thirty-nine home runs, fewer than the Yankees have hit in Baltimore. Uh-huh. I guess the ball, the, the, the newly round, rounded type ball, doesn't <laughs> fl- fly as far as San Francisco as it does. Detroit. Yeah. Oh my God. The team Detroit you just again. said hit stinks. Yeah. Yeah. 53 games at home. Yeah. Hit 37 home runs there. Wow. Fewer than the Yankees did. Okay, so you're burying me in, in bad stats. You can make a stat say anything you want. Uh, you can make those stats say <laughs> anything you want. Well, it does say, it does support your argument that the Tigers are no good. Yeah, but I knew that. I don't need the stats <laughs> to tell me that. Oh, geez. So let's stick with the season long uh, theme of injuries. Yes. We had a few more this week. Oh, Encarnacion, we Hicks. Right. Luckily, it looks like Glaber's going to be. Okay, but Glaber's that's a killer. Yeah, how big of a loss would that have been? It would be it would be the biggest loss yet. Uh, I say that because you know we've got six weeks left in the season, and if he's out for. I mean, if it's an oblique, I don't want to speculate. I don't know what it is, but if it's an oblique, if I am speculating, I guess I am now. But (laughs) if it was an oblique, then that's that's a problem. Yeah, it's hard to come back from that right away. It's time consuming. His core looks good. We've got good results back. The MRI is clear, so Uh he's good. Right. Um, But the thing that amazes me after all this. Injury after injury after injury. They're still on pace for 100 wins. It's amazing, isn't it? It's not only amazing. It tells me that if Aaron Boone is not manager of the year, there's something wrong. Well, no doubt. Because, I mean, it's, I've, the Yankees not only lost players, they've lost players who've lost players. I mean, we're on <laughs> like our third generation at third base. Right, we started with Andrew Hart, and then we had Ashilla, right? And Ashilla got hurt for a while. They put D- D- uh, DJ LeMayu there. 
I mean, they 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 put pretty people in Philly. A couple of people played different. Played short, played second. First base supposed to be Bird. Then it was going to be Boyd. Then it was uh, then with Carnacion. Carnacion. Then it was Disco Danny Ford or whatever. Right, <laughs> Jack Ford, Bill Ford, but President Ford. I mean, it has been crazy. It is just I don't mean to. to I'm not mocking Ford. No, I, no, but just, yeah. uh, he's a nice kid. He works hard, but he's got I'm, a sweet swing. He got a nice swing, you know. But you know, he's in 200 and. And he's like our fourth, third, first baseman. He tells me Boone knows what he's doing. He does know what he's doing, and and I think he's managed a crisis better than than anyone else could have managed it. He gets kudos for the crisis because it's been a crisis. You can't put twenty five, twenty six people on a DL and tell me that's not a crisis. And they continue to win. I mean, it doesn't matter who gets on a DL. I just sit there every day. I go, it's, you look at the, the people on the DL because it changes, right? There's a number of stars on that DL, yeah. and you say, how can you win without these people? But but they are. Let's go back to this past weekend again. Yeah, we, I, um, we done with the Red Sox because we. Didn't well, no, I'm bringing back much. up the Red Sox just uh, a little bit. Okay. Um, because we had Costas call those games. Yes, we did. Bobby How Costas. amazing was that? I love Robert. You know, I, Robert. I, well, it's whatever I want to call him. Okay. I know. I know. I'm nine years. I was my producer. I'm my producer over here, right? I was his producer for nine years at NBC. I got to know him really well. We did a lot of game game of the weeks together. Uh, we did we did NFL Live, which was the pregame, halftime, postgame shows on NBC. And uh, they were complicated, crazy, and also uh, got a lot of publicity and stuff. And, and, uh, and Bob is a great talent. I mean, he's a great talent because I, I said it back then. When I say back then, I'm talking about over 30 years ago. I said, you know what? He's so great because if he, he could do the Today Show, which means he could do a morning conversation show. He could do a, he could do nightly news, which means he could do a night a news show in prime time. He could do um, Saturday Night Live, means he could do comedy like a variety comedy special if he needed to. And you know, there, there, and he, he could do the World Series or the Olympics or whatever. He's there isn't anything he couldn't do as a talent. Anything. I would say he would be the best, you know, uh, Today Show host they've ever had. But I would just say he'd get through it. And he'd be fine. And he'd be better than most people have done it. I mean, so he's got a lot of talent, Bobby. You know, it's just that you know, Bobby's got a special ways, and that makes him unique, and it, it makes for an interesting day for a producer. You saying you had an interesting day on Saturday? I did. I really did. did. <laughs> I did. I did. Yeah, because Bob is Bob, you know, and I said with great affection. He's, he's, but he's an awesome talent. He just is, and uh, it was, it was really great for us to have him on the doublehead. It was terrific. It was comforting. It felt like so it was, it was like a national game. Sit back, relax, postseason almost feel to it. Very comforting. Um, I think Paul O'Neill and David Cohen appreciated being in the booth with them, too. I, I think they did. I, I know they did. Shifting gears a bit, what right. kind of feedback did you get on this podcast from last week? None. No, no one said, good job. No. No one said they listened. No. I, I have stats that say a dozen people listened. Oh, so an, audi <laughs> an audience in the tens? I'm that kidding. I'm kidding. No, I, I, actually, I'm, I'm teasing, too. I, I did get feedback from people who did listen and. They told me they really enjoyed it, and it was different. And I, th I think it was different for sure, and I, th I don't doubt that they enjoyed it because David Cohn was a great guest. David Cohn did a really good job of, of lending perspective to his career, uh, careers, whether it be television or on the mound, what it's like to be a professional pitcher and what you need to be to flourish, uh, those kind of qualities. And I th my takeaway was many, many things. And uh, first and foremost is that he's really great at what he does, and he's a really good guy. My biggest takeaway... Um or at least the feedback that I got uh -huh. was that our audio was awful, which it was. Okay. Uh, hopefully we're doing better. Who gave you that audio person called you and said your audio was awful? <laughs> well, my wife told me it was awful. All right, so there you go. And then my son, too. Are you still with your wife? Yeah, yeah. Okay, because that, that could be enough to end Listen, it. I'm bald. Oh. <laughs> I, I'm sticking with her for as long as she could. It's a Brett Gardner kind of thing. Well, yeah, but 
I don't have the uh, Jared Boschnack, our producer, is calling me right now, by the way. What does he want? I don't know. Should I pick it up in the middle no, of a podcast? No, tell him you're with no. me. <laughs> my point is, uh, I don't think I could. I need to have my wife, right? Because I'm bald. Well, yeah. I mean, how many follically challenged people get to, you know, stay in a relationship? I right. mean, it's hard. I had hair when I met her. I had hair, too. I'm bald, too. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't. I, I'm proud of it, actually. I really am. I wear it well. I, think. I do. I wear I wear nothing well. You hey, wear it well. Well, nothing. My head. Being, <laughs> being bald, I wear nothing well. Don't you get it? <laughs> oh, I get it. Oh, my God. Get up. Come on. Wake up, will you? <laughs> I'm thinking about Stop Jared calling me. Why would, you, why would you let him distract you like that? I don't Because he probably has something important. It's Jared. He can't have anything important. Come on. <laughs> All right. He has a production meeting going on right about now, too. Oh, so you have to leave? No, I'm not going. Okay, good. We have I AJ by myself. stuck out. You can't do the podcast by yourself. I can't. No, no, no. I'll tell you legitimate feedback yeah. I got. People liked when we were um, pulling back the curtain a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, talking about the history of Yes, how it got yeah, formed. Right. Um, and I think we need to do more of that is basically what people told us. And what's what we're going to do today, right? Uh, I'll, you know, I'll, you'll let you call the show. Well, the good news is I have a topic I want to talk to you about. Great. About the history of Yes. Huh? Mike and the Mad Dog. Oh, yeah, okay. Because we talked a little bit about it yet, uh, last week. We did, briefly. Um, when Mr. Steinbrenner told you, go out and get those two guys. Yes, he did. And you went out and you got those two guys. I, I did. Not without, not without a lot of work, but we got it done. But yeah. that's what I want to know. How did that initial meeting with Mike and the Mad Dog go down? You know, it's so long ago, uh, so it's a little sketchy in my mind how exactly it went down, other than I called the, I called Mark Chernoff, who was the head of Van uh, then. He's still the head of WFAN. And I told him what we wanted to do, and he said, huh, that's interesting. I said, I said the only person doing it was Imus, who was, had a, a simulcast, uh, and he was the only person I knew who had one. So we talked about that and what made the Imus thing interesting and what we could we do to make this work. And we both knew it would be a big challenge because we also knew we, we had to have the conversations with Mike and Chris, and we obviously had to have those conversations, and we did. And I just was honest with them, and I, and I gave them right of editorial. Which is uh, for that for those of us listening who don't know what that means. It means it's your show. We, we just put a camera in there. We walk, we watch it, and uh, but rather than that, it's really your show to say what you want, do what you want, and um, and so th- they, that meant a lot to them, and it should mean a lot to them. They always should have had that, and uh, although it became challenging me for year, sometimes for me in later years. Why is that? Uh, because sometimes the right to editorial means saying exactly what you want to say anytime, you, anywhere. And some of those stories were, you know, not exactly uh, uh, interesting stuff on the Yankee Network sometimes. So that happened a couple of times. And then what? what? No, nothing. I mean, you, you, you have to you, let that go. Well, you do because they have the right to editorial. It's their right to say whatever they want, and you have to respect that right. Yes, <laughs> that's a good thing. This is a podcast. I'm Speaking to the microphone, I, I am an audio try, podcast. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> you want to sing? Whether I'm right or whether I'm wrong, no, I'm not gonna sing. Sorry, where were we? I don't know. Now I'm getting texts from my wife. You have, you have to leave. When when are you coming home? Do you want wine? Wow! Tell wow. her you, the answer is yes on wine, and the other thing is up for discussion. Yeah, because I'm in the middle of a podcast. Yes, where correct. people are talking over here, where the microphone's over there. <laughs> you know, it's not a perfect environment we have here. But so we try. We try, though. When uh, Mike and Chris yes. criticize the Yankees, you yes. have to, because you gave them creative control, right. you have to sit back and relax. That's not Yeah, easy. I mean, listen, when you say a team is like, you know, won one of their last 15 games at the time, or somebody's like two for their last 40, 
it is what it is. The stats don't lie. They tell the truth. And you have to, if you don't broadcast that or you, don't, you try to omit that or ignore it, you, you have no credibility. So when you say something else, you don't have any credibility. And when you say something else, people will say, well, I don't believe you because you, you weren't telling the truth on this story or you hit about this or you we try to cover up that. No, that's where you got the chips full. You have to let the chips full. They will. You have to be honest. You have to have integrity. And uh, and I'm just saying that some of those years it was tough to do that because, you know, the uh, because of the, the existing regime was could be uh, very demanding. And uh, and and sometimes we would push back on the demands. Going back to the beginning and negotiations. Yes. Did the fan get what you were trying to do? Were they ever uh, apprehensive saying you're going to take our listeners away? Yes, there was a little of we were they were afraid that we would take listeners away. That was true. And that's why we paid them. We paid them money. We paid them a rights fee, of which they kept a certain portion of the money, and it was up to them how much uh, how much they gave Mike and how much they gave Chris. They both got paid through the, through them, and whatever was left, I guess, was their take on it. But that's all. Oh, I thought you paid Mike and Chris. I did or not. We? No, no, we did not. The they they, they they were paid by the fan paid them. My favorite thing about yeah. Mike and the Mad Dog was how much how contentious the relationship was. Did that ever? So they went months without talking. They did. Did that and hurt your show, our show? Well, they went month, months without talking on the breaks. While the, while the mic was live and hot, they always had something to say. But they wouldn't comment on each other's work. They stopped doing that. And that became awkward. It was awkward. I, I will tell you that. And uh, I'm just glad that uh, I say it worked out. I mean, they both moved on to something else. And uh, that was important. Okay, so here's the big question. Yes. Chris leaves. Yes. Mike is solo. Yes. Did the show suffer? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Wow. Um, I mean, it wasn't that Mike was, was terrible. Mike's not. Ter Mike's a really good talent. He's a great talent, actually. But it became from this incredible chemistry the two of them had to a solo act. And at, at, by the way, I think Chris suffered as well. As much as I like Chris, I, I think he's, he suffered as well because th their strength was, I mean, they were Butch and Sundance. Their strength was t t together. Uh, the chemistry, the repartee, the give and take. Uh, the, the humor, the, the pathos, everything that was who they were uh, really, really manifested itself in that show. And when one of them left, I mean, it's like, you know, Abbott without Costello or, you know, Martin without Lewis or I'm really dating myself on these teams. But, you, I mean, you get the idea. I mean, you can't, I mean, I, I don't know anybody who could have kept the same level of, it became a totally different show without somebody in there for Mike to be, to be a foil with, for Mike and, and with Mike. And ultimately, uh, we split ways with Mike and the Mad Dog or Mike Francesa. We did. What yeah. led to that departure? I think it was just time. Over time, things happened. Uh, like I said, it wasn't the same show. And uh, although you know Mike was still very good, I'm not. I'm not denigrating Mike at all. I think Mike was very good. It's just that it, it took on. It was just a different show. And it was like they were so great together. Like I said, it just anytime you altered that, and by taking one away, you obviously altered the chemistry and everything else. So it wasn't the same show. Time when I mean it was an expensive show for us too. I mean Mike, uh, Mike and the fan got because the show was successful, so we paid them more each you know each year, and so we got to be uh, financially it got to be tough, and I think it was just time to you know try something else, and that's why we went to Michael K, and we haven't looked back. Michael's done a great job, and that's that's actually a very good show. It's fun amazing. Show. I love the three of them; they're great together. Yes, Lagreca when he loses it, <laughs> I lose it. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, last thing on Mike and the Mad Dog, real quick. Next week, we have a special guest right? from uh, Mike and the Mad Dog fame. I'm not going to say who it is yet. We'll say at the end of the show. How's that sound? Uh, the studio engineer? 
It could be. So, you got to listen to the end of the show. Okay, we listen to the end of the show. Uh, I'm ex- now you got my. You got my. Uh, I'm peaked. You're gonna like it. Your interest is peaked. Do you know how to totally. spell peaked? P. K. K. No. <laughs> you said K. You said okay. No P- one gets this right. If well, your interest is peaked, it's not P E A K E D. I know that. No. It's not even close. No. Well, it's got a P. It must be like we must have U Q in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah. P I Q U E D. You know what? I, I visually saw that. Okay. But I, I couldn't put the, the letters together because it, it's been um, it's been a while since breakfast. <laughs> so. I, well, on. how about this? Yeah. We we go get a bite to eat. We'll take a break here. Right. And on the other side, we do John Sterling. Uh, I look forward to that. Yeah. That'd be great. The legendary John Sterling. The legendary John Sterling. Hey, this is Chris Sheeran of the Yes Network. Listen to my podcast, and we're off for all the latest on the New York sports scene with guests who know the teams you love inside and out. Go to where you subscribe to your favorites and give it a listen. Welcome back, everyone. This is episode two of uh, Curtain Call the podcast and we really do appreciate you giving this a listen so thank you please hit the subscribe button and uh tell your friends and that will mean a great deal to us and we'll be able to continue doing this show so thank you very much uh we have a guest at this time someone very very special he's a legend in the world of broadcasting he's done it all i mean his his career spans decades and we're very happy at this time and pleased this time to uh introduce our our guest uh, john sterling So growing up in New York, John, uh, when you grew up, you grew up a Yankee fan? Uh, what fan were you? What team would you support? Oh, Yankee, my goodness. <laughs> um, my, my dad was a Yankee fan, but I think more importantly, my friends were Yankee fans. And, um, you know, I, I rooted for the New York teams, the Rangers, the Knicks, the Giants, the football Giants, and um, the Yanks. But, you know, one thing, I always like to see the visiting players. Uh, even though I rooted for the New York teams, I, I got a big kick out of seeing all the big players come in in the different sports. And in college basketball, another big kick was seeing all the great players come into the garden in the great days of college basketball. This goes back a long time. So, you know, it's it's something I've, I've told this to Michael Kay on center stage when I did that a couple of years ago that I've been very fortunate. I've had these two companions with me for my whole life, music and sports, and I, you know, I love both of them, and I throw myself into it, and I have the kind of personality, if I don't like something, I ignore it completely, <laughs> and if I like it, I plunge in, you know, whether it's books or old movies or whatever. John, you grew up in a fascinating time, and you grew up in New York City, which is, you know, has got so much to offer. And at that time, you had three baseball teams. You had the Giants, you had the Dodgers, you had the Yankees. And the Yankees and Dodgers principally had the rivalry with the Giants because they never really got to a World Series. You, uh, They did one year, but mostly it was the Yankees and Dodgers every year. So you had that, that kind of rivalry going on, and you were immersed as a Yankee fan. What player in particular, or players in particular, do you enjoy the most watching? Well, of course, Mickey Mantle and, and Whitey Ford. But when I was a very little boy, I, because of the name and the fact he's a, I'm a lefty, and so I, I like lefty hitters, and I loved uh, Charlie Keller. <laughs> but I didn't, didn't get a chance to see him play very much. He got hurt. King Kong. His career ended very early, but I love reading about him. Uh, the, he was part of the outfield of, of Keller, Henrik, and DiMaggio. And, uh, but you know, you, you brought up the, the Dodgers Giants. 
I would take a bus to the polo grounds all the time. I, I just loved the game. And I would watch the Dodgers and Giants on TV. When the Yankees were away, the Giants and Dodgers would be home and they'd be on Channel 9 and Channel 11. And I would flip back and forth to watch two games. I got a big kick out of it. So today, John, people know you as the radio voice of the Yankees. Uh, but before that, you've done hockey, you've done basketball, you've done football, um, and, and you made a name for yourself mainly at first in Atlanta. Is that right? No, uh, actually, it was in New York um, way before your time. <laughs> I landed. <laughs> I'm just a kid. I was in Baltimore doing radio and TV talk, and I put sports on my general talk show, and I finally got a little bit of a sports rep and did games. And then in 72, I got these quote-unquote sports directorship, which means I ordered myself around at WMCA in New York. I did a three-hour show for about seven, eight years, and included were hockey and, and basketball. And I was doing football from Baltimore on Morgan State. As they say, my plate was very full in the 70s. Then I went to Atlanta in the 80s. And at Atlanta, I know a lot of people say uh, the Bernie Williams home run is where you started doing those uh, play on words. But you actually did a lot of that in Atlanta. Am I right? I did the Hawks and Braves. And uh, on the Hawks, um, they had Dominique. And so when he would do something spectacular, I would say, Dominique is magnifique. <laughs> and it, it caught on. He loved it. <laughs> he, he loved it. Then I did plays off that anyway that that's kind of how it began and how'd you end up uh, back in new york well i got a phone call out of the blue right absolutely out of, wait till you hear this story <laughs> uh, i mean the yankee job is such a, you know, an enormous job uh, i i got a call in september of 88 and the fella steve malsberg of wabc uh, said to me how would you like to do the yankees uh, we're interested and uh, there's a new general manager, and he's going to change the radio team. And he he's, he listens to you all the time. And I, I didn't even have an agent, so I called a buddy of mine who I did basketball with, who's a lawyer, uh, Mike D. Tommaso. And I said, Mike, call this guy, and if you can, make a deal. He made a deal. I got the Yankee job without an audition. Is that amazing? Wow, that is amazing. That is that's really amazing. Anyway, it's kind of worked out. Did you, you know, kind of I, say I, so. I didn't say really so. want to leave Atlanta. I loved it. I loved doing the Hawks, but I didn't want to be an old man and say, ah, I should have done the Yankees. <laughs> so uh, I took the job, and my goodness, it's worked out better than I ever could have tried. When you say you worked out better than you ever could expect, I mean, it worked out better in the sense that, I mean, you – it's been a Hall of Fame run, John. I mean, the, how many years have you been behind the mic with the Yankees now? 31. 31. How many people not work in any job 31 years, let alone in the world of, right. of broadcasting, media, and television, which we know is uh, just can has a way of uh, shortening careers as opposed to lengthening them? And the fact that you've yeah. done this for 31 years and done it at the level in which you've done it is, is actually quite amazing. And also, don't you have to factor in New York. That's kind of a tough city as well. So when I went up there, I had, I think it was a two-year contract with an option. And uh, so look how fortunate I am. I really am. And after, you know, um, a couple, three years, I got a great partner in Michael Kay. And, uh, and now Susan has been 15 years with Susan. So, you know, all in all, uh, Flip, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I've done basketball and football for your network, yes. And I've done, you know, obviously the, uh, the Yankeeography 
because of the writing and the production, not me, I just do the voice. Um, you know, we earned 12 Emmys, local Emmys, on on Yankeeography and Yankee Classics. So it's all it's been it's been great. And by the way, the 31 years has gone like it's three years or four years. <laughs> So. You mentioned what you've done here on Yes, uh, and I'd love to know, when you first heard the name Yes or heard that the Steinbrenners and the Yankees were going to start a regional sports network, what did you think? Did you think this was going to be a success right off the bat? Well, they had the Yankees, so you knew that they would be able to sell the Yankees and draw an audience. But what you've done with Yes, making it every day, 365-day, a 12-month success, and it's become obviously a phenomenal success. You know, that's one reason why George Steinbrenner deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. He, he showed baseball how to make money. Remember they all thought that once free agency came in, that would ruin baseball, the money and all. Well, of course, it, it, baseball's done nothing but gone up. And I think George showed there were different ways, there were different revenue streams. And uh, I think he showed baseball how to go about that. So when they started, yes, I just figured it was going to be a success, and I got a tremendous kick at the beginning of Yes doing so many things for you, and uh, and it, it paved the way for other teams to build their own sports network like the Mets did. They took that from the Yanks, and it's you know you own your own product, and uh, you know as they say, it's good for business. And one of our products is the Brooklyn Nets. Last season, you had the opportunity to work a Brooklyn Nets game. Was it uh, like riding a bike, getting back in the NBA? Absolutely. I mean, I wasn't worried about it. Um, that's what I do for a living. I played my whole life. I played high school. I played college. And I played after that. Uh, wherever I was, I'd, I'd play for some kind of team. And, um, and then... One day in New York, I'm playing at a charity game, and I was really in shape. And now all these guys, it was up at Fordham, and all the players, they're all baseball players and such, they said, you got to play the whole game. You're in shape. <laughs> and I hurt my knee badly. I ripped up my knee. And so I never could really play after that. But then I started playing tennis. Now I swim for exercise, and uh, even though I have new knees. you know, So sports is a big part of my, obviously, sports is a huge part of my life. And John, this is how diverse you are. Your skill set is so wide. You've talked about basketball, football, baseball. You've done the kitten bowl, right? <laughs> well, what happened is I met Bill Abbott, who is the, you know, I give titles away. I have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> but let's say he is the president or CEO of Hallmark TV. And um, he's a big Yankee fan, and he listened and we met him in a Chicago hotel in a, in a great bar room in, in um, I can't think of the name of the hotel or I'd give it to you. But anyway, um, so we became very friendly. And then he called me a couple of years later. And he said, I'd like you to do something for me. Would you do this? Well, the kitten bowl was very tough to do because you're in a studio reading everything. And uh, then they put everything together. The producers put everything together and they kind of match what the kittens are doing on their field with what you're supposed to say. And I'll tell you one little thing. When I was doing it, you have to read a teleprompter. And, you know, it was a little tough, even with glasses. So I had cataracts, and I had something called laser cataract surgery. 
and um, it's unbelievable. I mean, the minute you open your eyes, unbelievable. Throw away your glasses. And so the next time I went to a studio to do Yankeeography up in Stanford, um, and the teleprompter's way off. This is a big studio, and the teleprompter's way over. And I looked, and I read it perfectly. I wish I had had the cataract surgery <laughs> when I was doing kitten bowl. But, yeah, I did kitten bowl for, I don't know, three, four, five years, something like that. Well, I would say the kitten bowl probably isn't the craziest thing you've done because you've done some work with our own Matthew Stucco. He's had you read a grocery list, read Goodnight Moon, go to Starbucks and place right. an order. Uh, these were all crazy hits for us online with a ton of views. But what are you thinking when Matt Stucco comes up to you and says, read Goodnight Moon? Well, I just uh, knew that, uh, again, it was yes, and I knew that they would do right by me. So I thought it was kooky, crazy of the things, reading a grocery list. He said that, well, Scully did it too. And, uh, and then the day that he came in the car with me and we went through um, – was it the Starbucks or somebody? Anyway, we did we did a run through <laughs> where I'm ordering coffee for everybody. It was pretty funny. I will tell you this: it's very important. It sounds now like some old fool, but it is very important to get reps in anything you do. And when I began, I began at the bottom. I began in a small station way upstate New York, in a tiny town. And, you know, there were like three people in this radio station. I was on all afternoon. To me, just me. <laughs> and when I'd have a record on, I'd run down the hallway and rip off the news. That's called rip and read in the business. At least it used to be called that. And I did everything, you know, on the air, including a funeral show. So I've done a lot of diverse things, as you say. John, it's Flip. Uh, I want to ask you a little bit about Kay. Uh you worked with Kate a number of years, and you guys were a terrific radio team together. And when we started, yes, we were able to pry, well, pry Michael Kate for, for uh, a lot of principal work, but we also were able to get you to do a number of projects for us, and one of which obviously was Yankeeography. And the reason that was so successful, a lot of it was obviously because of your narration, which was terrific, and what you put into it. But as a partner, tell me about Michael Kay, why you liked him so much as a partner on radio. Well, that's a great question, Flip, and I'm going to give you really a good answer that no, I don't think I've ever answered this before. When I got to the Yankees, um, he was writing for either the News or the Post, and, you know, we became friendly. Um, he's a very outgoing guy, as you know. And so when I had a chance to put my voice in to hire someone, uh, Joe Angel had done the game for one year, and he went back to Baltimore. And um, I, I, first of all, do you have the time for me to say this? It's a long story. Do you have that time? John, for you, we'll make time. No, go, go, John. It's your your, your show here. You go. Okay. Well, anyway, there's a a great movie, not good, great, on World War II called 13 Rue Madeleine. Mm. And James Cagney is the star. And they are forming the OSS. He's supposed to be, I forget the name of the guy who formed it. Um, Donovan? But he was supposed to be that guy. Mm -hmm. And um, they're in this magnificent mansion in Virginia training these OSS spies. And the guy who heads it up, he's played by Walter Abel, an old-time actor, Mm -hmm. is talking to Cagney, and they're looking over 
from this on the second floor, they're looking into the living room at all these people. And Walter Abel says to Cagney, one of them is a Nazi. And Cagney says, what? Well, why don't you get... He said, no, no, no. We want, to, uh, we want you to find out who it is. And um, so I, I told this story to the then people who had the radio rights at ABC. And I said, I know who it is. He said, well, I want you to find out. So I did auditions with three or four people. And in my mind, I knew Michael could talk. And I knew he was bright and energetic. And I really thought he should be the guy. And he had to learn how to do play-by-play, which he obviously did. He's so smart, he picked it up. You know, there's a rhythm to play-by-play in baseball. It's not, you know, we're not talking about brain surgery now. And, you know, he started off slowly and got knocked, like we all get knocked. And then, obviously, his intelligence took over, and he learned how to do it. Maybe he listened to me. Maybe he listened to other people. And um, you can see what he's done with his career. He is now having a phenomenal career with both the play-by-play of the Yanks and also the talk shows. So, but I want you to know that I knew it was Michael Kay, and and that's I use this movie as a background. I know who it is, but I want you to find out. <laughs> and that's that's how Michael got the job. John, you mentioned before about uh, that we all get we all get knocked. I mean, you have not been spared where anybody who's in the public uh, gets can get skewed on occasion. And maybe it's the home run calls, uh, uh, the, the stylized in which sometimes you broadcast. Maybe that's what I don't really know. But but I will tell you that, that you've gotten more than your fair share of barbs from the critics. Oh, there's no question, especially when I uh, began. Um, there's one guy who will be unmentioned who's knocked me for 31 years. Do you think, do you think he's trying to tell me something? Um, it means nothing. Um, maybe years ago in the days of Walter Winchell, who was supposed to have wield great power and the people in Hollywood, uh, had a hopper and Luella, whatever her name was, Parsons. Luella Parsons, yeah. Uh, anyway, maybe then that was a big thing, but not anymore. I mean, first of all, first of all, unfortunately for me, because I'm a newspaper junkie, right. but newspapers really have gone way downhill. So it, it, it doesn't matter. And it obviously doesn't matter because it's my 31st year. So, you know, I don't think the people listen to it or um, I have been treated with such phenomenal respect by everyone I've met. And I'm so fortunate. There's not a day goes by that someone doesn't compliment me on, on listening to the games or doing the games or whatever. So, you know, if, if you get knocked, you know, stand up like a man and take it. It's a big deal. Vince Scully used to say when we'd be working on a World Series or a big event, big game, he'd say, well, the response I got the last time was half the audience thought we were pro somebody and half the audience thought we were against someone. So guess what? We must be doing our jobs. Yeah. Yeah. And also, a guy came up to me the other day to tell me how much he liked the real sports piece that Brian Gumbel did. And he said, you know, you're, you're broadcasting to Yankee fans. So, you know, I'm very exuberant about the Yanks and the calls and Yankees win, blah, blah, blah. I would not have known, John. But if you really listen listen to my broadcast, and I'm really, when they play lousy, I say they're playing lousy. So, you know, people hear what they want to hear, I guess. And if you want to knock, if you're a critic and you want to knock in your column because it helps your column, you're going to find something that knocks. Gee, if you listen to me for four hours, 
pregame and and then the game. Lucky it was four hours. It's an Oreo game. It's probably <laughs> seven. Hey, yeah, I make a lot of mistakes. Gee, I don't hide that. You know, it's all extemporaneous for four hours. So, John, we've tiptoed around the home run conversation. I want to jump right in because this is the topic I'm most excited about. If that's all right with you, uh, can you walk me through your home run process? Uh, the Yankees get a new player. I envision you're at home at your desk with papers crumpled up, your head head in your hand. <laughs> is that what's going on? <laughs> no, well, nothing is on paper. That's for sure because I don't do. I do, I live life and broadcast by the seat of my pants. Well, when it began, it was just you know burn baby burn, and and a few others. You know the Bam Chino, and <laughs> it wasn't meant to be for every player. Well, it took off. So I should be happy about it. And now it is for every player. And uh, some some are tougher than others. And um, I will admit this. I've told this story before. When the Yankees got Giancarlo, I called up Berlitz. And I spoke to their Italian master, who actually was a gal, Linda Merlot. And I said to her, I need a short phrase that rhymes. <laughs> I explained what I did. She had no idea what I did. I explained what I did. And I said, if you want to think about it, if you're old enough, remember Ronzoni had that phrase, mm-hmm. Ronzoni sono buoni. Yes, I remember. Well, Ronzoni is so, <laughs> so good. So a couple of days later, she called back and she said, I think I have it for you. And she came up with a. Non si può stoparlo. Giancarlo, non si può stoparlo, which means you can't be stopped. Oh, is that what it means? Well, he was stopped this year because he hasn't played all year. (laughs) He did it to himself. There you go. The the others, you know, I I try to think. I have to think. And now, you know, uh, last night, um, Kyle Higashioka hit two home runs. Higashioka, the home run stroker. And, uh, Maven hit a home run, hammering Cameron. I mean, it's just a nice, as you say, play on words. That's all it is. And people who don't like it take it seriously. You know, and I guess my answer to either the critics or those people are, you know, be like me. If you don't like it, don't listen to it. If I don't like it, I have very strong likes and dislikes. If I don't like something, I don't read it, listen to it, watch it, etc. John, if you if you could. Uh, This is kind of a twofold uh, question. If you could take one thing back in your in your entire career, like one call back of one moment, and redo it again, what call? What moment would that be? Well, on on Real Sports, they showed the worst call I ever made. I thought it was in it was here. As a matter of fact, in Toronto at at, uh, Rogers Center, Uh, A Rod hit one to right field. I thought it was out. I lost the ball. And the ball was caught. And that was probably the worst call I ever made. And I said, oh, excuse me, I blah, blah, blah. But, you know, when you think about it, you make a mistake. Gee, it, it, we're not feeding the world hungry. We're not conquering one of the terrible diseases that's hit mankind. It is just baseball play by play. <laughs> so uh, I, think, I think sometimes, critics especially, they take it seriously because it's good for them so they can write something. And, um, you know, the, the rest of it, I never, you know, Flip, I never listen to tapes. Really? Because no, no. No, no, no. I always feel I could do it better. Always. So I, I, I don't think of one call, but that, that I just was reminded of because 
obviously they to show the opposite side they showed that call john when i was found it but they (laughs) when i was 10 years old i was convinced i was going to be a new york yankee of course that never happened (laughs) but if that did happen and i did hit a home run is it kevin cracks one Sully Swats one. What's my home run call? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd have to think about it now. Uh, with Flip, it'd be easy because of Flip. Um, but I'd, I'd find, you know what? I'd find, you know, um, there was a movie, Sullivan Travels. I'd probably do something on that. Okay. Next and time also, I see by you. the way, it's a good thing when people ask, well, what is that? Why? Susan and I kid about it all the time. We mentioned someone years ago. And Susan will say, well, Google it. <laughs> she does. I know. I've heard her do that. Uh, so yeah. I, speaking of – now you got my curiosity. I almost have to go back and say what my call would be, but maybe we'll get to that before we end this. Uh, you mentioned Susan. Um, I mean, Susan was a pioneer too. I mean she was uh, mm-hmm. the first woman to go down to a clubhouse and uh, when it was not a, an accepted thing and she had to you know, endure what a lot of pioneers have to endure. And she not only endured, she's persevered. And she's been with you now a number of years as, as your sidekick, as you like to call her compañero, right? Is that what it is, right? So, you know, you you got you must have a very interesting working relationship with one another. Well, what happened, uh, Flip, is that I helped get a fellow named John Channon the job as the first GM of WFAN. And uh, I had worked for him at Enterprise, which only lasted nine months in 1980, uh, 1981, excuse me. And um, so he, he said, on your all-star break, I was obviously broadcasting the Braves, he said, on your all-star break, why don't you come up and do the show, the afternoon drive show, uh, the afternoon drive guy was a guy named Pete Franklin that had a heart attack and he was recuperating. And I said, sure, I'd love it. And um, who is my update person? Susan. So that's how we got to be friends. And um, what she's done is absolutely marvelous. She has taken the role and made it her own. And she does it by, frankly, working as hard as anyone could work. She leaves nothing to chance. She interviews everyone. She talks to everyone. She does all this work. And, um, you know, we've been able to make a good combination for 15 years. But uh, she is uh, driven. She never wants to sound anything less than her best on the air. And I feel the same way. Doesn't mean that everything works, but just is. She has such great desire, so passionate, and she really works at it. Man, she really works at it, and she's really ready when we go on the air. You said nobody works harder than Susan, but I would say, looking at your more than 5,000 consecutive games, uh, you're a pretty hard worker yourself, no? <laughs> Did Ripken call you, John? You know, really, John? Did Cal really Ripken call you? they all do it on the Yankees, on, on your podcast, because we have time. You know, this is really 38 years. I broadcast my first Hawks game at the beginning of November in 81, and the only two games I had missed before taking those games off, which ended the streak. The only two games I took off were when I, I had to put my sister to rest. And uh, outside of that, I never missed a game from 1981. And I honestly, I never thought about the streak. Never. I mean, I never thought of going to a game and saying, well, I'm adding one more to the streak. 
um, that was my job. I love it. Don't forget, that's a big thing. You know, it's a labor of love. It's my labor, and I love it. And so going to the Hawks or the Braves and then finally the Yankees, um, I didn't miss a game because I was healthy enough. There were some days I felt lousy, but, you know, I, I, I went and did the games, and and it just happened to snowball. So when they, they put up that number, 5,000 or something, did they include preseason games? Did, did they include Atlanta do they include postseason games? I have no idea. Um, I don't think it really matters. You know, and as I've told people, no one's going to match that streak. And if they do, I'll be dead. Then. So, <laughs> you know, it's thirty another 31 years. So You beat Ripken, um, John. It, you beat Ripken. It just happened. It just happened. That's all. So I, ha- I have to. Sorry, I had John. good enough health so it was able to happen. How hard was it when it stopped happening, right? Because you have this long streak that's obviously something you're proud of. Was it difficult for you to pull back? No. No, I really felt lousy. And uh, um, the, the trip to London didn't help. <laughs> you know, two flights in three days. Uh, yeah, two flights in three days. And um, my program director, um, a wonderful guy named Mark Chernoff, he kept asking me, John, you've got to take games. Everyone takes games off. You've got to take games off. I don't want you to get sick and miss a lot of games. So I thought those four games down in Tampa would be great to take off. And then the uh, the All-Star break was another four days. So I had eight days. And um, something, you know, happened. I um, it, it really helped me get over all this and um you know now i feel as good as i ever feel it uh, well, i want to backtrack just a little bit because we talked about a question before that was two pronged in terms of take yourself out of the booth for a second you're not in a booth there's somebody else calling a yankee game okay and you get to pick who that person would be because you you admire them it could be all time we're not talking about contemporary we're talking about in, in, in to your knowledge and the, the, your years on earth if you could pick one person to call a Yankee game, not you, that you'd have faith in to do a really good job and the public would be served by and that you really liked. Just one. I'm sure there's more than one, but let's just pick one. Who would it be? Well, I think Vin Scully was fabulous, and I want you to know something. I thought Vin Scully was fabulous when I was a kid and he was beginning with the Dodgers. I listened to him and I thought, boy, is he smooth? Is he good? So I would say Scully, but but Flip, I like people. And, you know, if people say, oh, he loves Sinatra. Well, I do love Sinatra, but I love, there's a hundred singers I love. And uh, and there's a hundred broadcasters. Now, you know, I must have loved Mel Allen, a Yankee sure, fan, sure. Mel Allen. But I loved Russ Hodges, and I loved Scully, and I loved Harry Carey, and Different guys doing it in different ways. Bob Prince of the Pirates, I thought was great. Jack so there's a lot of people I like. But I guess if you said, who do you think was the best? I think Scully. Scully once said, which I love, uh, he said, I, I profited from the generation of mistakes. You know, and some old-time announcers were a little cliche-ish, et cetera, et cetera. And, and Scully felt that he learned what not to do, which is a pretty good thing. No question. I, I had the, the privilege of working with Vinny when I was at NBC. We did a couple of World Series together, games of the week, worked on a game of the week with him. Um, 
I mean, and, and I've worked with a lot of great people and, and been around a lot of great people. So it's tough to say, you know, to quantify someone is, is X is better than Y is better than Z. They all offer something. They all bring something that makes them unique right. and special. I couldn't agree more. It's, it's tough to say one's the best. It's how you hear them. And uh, Scully style is as different from Harry Carey's as Carey's was from Bob Prince so, or Mel Allen. So uh, I, I would agree with that. And it's very tough in the, uh, in the arts to tell me who plays violin or piano better, uh, who sings better, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, so I, I agree with that. I think that's very tough, almost impossible. John, over the course of your 5,000-plus games, you've seen it all, uh, both on and off the field. Tell me, what's the most unusual thing you've ever seen? Boy. Well, the, the game in, in, uh, on July 4th in Atlanta, you know, it was, it was 85, um, where oh. we went 19 innings and they had a rain delay and and uh, the Braves kept tying it up with home runs in the bottom of the innings. I think that was pretty unusual game. John, remember Rick Camp in that game? Rick Camp hit a pinch hit home run. Yes. Yeah, I remember Rick was Camp once. was yeah. the worst hitter in the world. <laughs> now, I'll give you a story yeah. because I loved Russ Hodges. Yes, yeah, sir. And Russ Hodges had kind of he had a great voice, but he also did kind of folksy stuff. And he would say, you know, when a guy would come up because the pitches are hitting, he'd say. Um, anyone's dangerous swinging a shillelagh. So, <laughs> so uh, I did that on the air once with Skip Carey about Rick Camp, whose rep was the worst hitter of all time. And so I said, well, as Russ Hodges would say, anyone's dangerous, you know, up there swinging a shillelagh. And Skip said, well, I guess he's never seen Rick Camp. <laughs> and, and who hit the three-run home run in the bottom of the 18th to tie? They had run out of players was Rick Camp. Isn't that amazing? You know what else was amazing, John? They forgot to shut the fireworks off that, that was supposed to right. go off like at, when the game was over at, say, 10 o'clock. It's now 3, 3.30 in the morning, and the fireworks went off at the end of the game. It was a firework night, I guess. Yeah. The people the people living in that neighborhood really loved it. I'm, I'm sure, sure they did. <laughs> I thought, John, I was setting you up for the time when, when I said unusual, when the guy, you're calling a game and you see just a body come in front of you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> See, I forget. I do so many games, I forget. It was my first year, and I'm doing play-by-play -play in the old stadium, and all of a sudden, the body goes straight down. And I said something on the air I shouldn't have. No one heard it. And the guy hit the net. And, um, yeah, that was pretty unusual. Yeah, I think... If I remember correctly, he was trying to see if the net would hold him. Luckily, well, it did. Pretty scary if it didn't, too. Luckily, it did. He fought the netting and the netting won, I guess. Yeah. So it works. <laughs> uh, favorite stadium. You've been to all of them. Favorite stadium. Oh, boy. Um, no, not wow. Yankee Stadium. Not Yankee, yes. Well, you know, uh, I want to say one thing about the Yanks. Um, I don't know if they designed it, but they did it all in Yankee Stadium because they built this beautiful, majestic, five-tiered stadium. But the ball carries so well. Now, I love offense. And the ball, you know, they always say about right field is so short. It carries okay to left field, too. 
So I think if I had to choose a ballpark outside of um, Yankee Stadium, I guess it would be Minnesota. And so they have a oh, fabulous beautiful. ballpark in, in every single way. And it's very easy to to get in and get out. And um, uh, the, the broadcast booth is terrific, et cetera. I, I, I guess Minnesota. I like I, – you know, I like things. And so I – Camden Yards, uh, um, Progressive Field in Cleveland – uh, Seattle, they don't call it Safeco anymore. I forget what they call T-Mobile. T-Mobile, like. T-Mobile yeah. But anyway, right. I, I, I love those ballparks. And given how much I've heard you, um, what's the word, complain about Cowbell? My guess is Tampa Bay is your least favorite. <laughs> <laughs> no, Wrigley Field would be the worst. They have no elevator, and the broadcast booth is so tiny. You know the old line, I, I got to go outside to change your mind? <laughs> well, <laughs> that's, that's Wrigley Field. And... Um, that's a very tough ballpark. They did. They didn't do right. It used to be fabulous. Um, like Fenway used to sit way down, you know, right over the field, and then they decided to make sweeps out of that, sell seats and such, and they put everyone upstairs, way upstairs. Um, yeah, Tampa Bay only because there's no noise. <laughs> there's no one there. There's no noise. So they figured they'd fill it with sound effects when their home team is up. It drives you nuts. Also, I wear a single earpiece. You know, I'm, I'm saying things that people won't understand. You will, Flip, and you will, Sully. But uh, the single earpiece bleeds in the noise. So um, I find that very disconcerting. <laughs> and so I mention it all the time. Uh, John, you mentioned before that uh, uh, put a thought in my head. What, if anything, and there has to be, would you want our listeners to know that they don't know about you? There's a lot of things I'm sure they don't know about, but what would you want to share with them that you know they don't know? What's a little secret you'd like to pass on to them? Boy, you're asking great questions. I wish I had a good answer for it. Um, You know, I'm very private, so I really... uh, um, I have... uh, I waited a long time to get married and have children. And I have four children. And the love that we share is just amazing. They're such good kids. You know, they've, they've led in a very good life with a lot of advantages, like your kids. And um, But they don't take it for granted. They're not spoiled. And they all work. They not only go to school, but they all work. That's and great. now that they're in the summer, they, they all have two jobs. So um, I guess I'm very, very proud of my kids and very close to them. And, we, you know, we, even though my boys are going to be 19 in October, um, I hug and kiss them all the time. And uh, I give them support and encouragement. And I think um, in that way, I've been a good dad. And they have a very good mom who uh, has kept them in line. You know, I have, she, we, kid, we kid, Jennifer has a million rules. And I have no rules, <laughs> but it's it's kind of it's worked out. I guess that's that's what I'd like to uh, something that they wouldn't know. Uh, I'm sure the people may have read about this. This isn't, isn't a secret, but I don't know how widespread this information was. In 2015, you, you know, your home was destroyed by fire. I mean, that had to be yes. devastating. I mean, see your your life's collection and so much of that. Obviously, your home is obviously you and your and your, and your loved ones. To see that destroyed. You lost your World Series rings. Everything went in 2015, but the Yankees followed up on that, and they did they did something nice for you. 
didn't they? Yeah. Um, you know, Debbie Timon does everything for the Yankees. She's unbelievably fabulous. And uh, when I got my rings back, I went to Debbie and I said, yeah, thank you. I really appreciate it. She said, no. She said, it wasn't me. It was Hal. Hal insisted you get your rings back. And I thought that was great. And a fellow that we know, Marvin Scott, yes. Channel 11, um, who is on the board, the academy, as they say, um, he got all my um, my uh, Emmys back. And they presented them to me on the field. And, um, you know, people going out of their way to be nice to me, to help me. Um, yeah, the, the fire was something. I literally had only the clothes on my back. Literally. And um, I didn't know how bad the fire was going to be, but I did something bright. I don't do a lot of bright things. Um, I said to myself, you got to get a hotel room. Suppose you can't go back into your apartment tonight. Little did I know it was going to be this unbelievable fire. And I went to a hotel, and I stayed there. They bought it. They take care of me like I was one of their own. And um, I stayed there through the rest of January and February. Then I went to spring training in March, and I came back and was there in April and most of May. And then I moved into a fabulous building that was being built. Now, they they were late in, in finishing it because they had some really tough winters in New York. And I now live in a wonderful apartment. And I'm pretty good about um, losing, you know, the great pictures and, and uh, all the the artifacts you collect in life, uh, pretty good. I have it in my mind. So I've had it in my mind. You know, when, when my parents passed, I didn't take anything so I could remember them. I remember them in my mind. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of that way uh, where I do things by, you know, basically by, <laughs> by the seat of my pants. So now I have um, an apart a great apartment and a, a beautiful apartment overlooks the Hudson. And, um, and there's a swimming pool downstairs, indoor, so I can swim, and uh, it's uh, it's worked out very well. So, but and also this building is about 20 seconds away from my old building, so you know everything has worked out. I'm a very lucky guy, very very fortunate human being. Well, as Branch Ricky once said, luck is the residue of design. You know, a lot of people say they're yeah. lucky, but they somehow you know, have the qualities that it takes for life to go their way. So I would say you are one of those people for sure. I, I have one question in closing, and then Kevin's going to have a question in closing. What I would ask you is this. if you Now, you know Yankee history. You obviously not just on Broadway but and a lot of things, but you really know Yankee history, okay? If you could go back and pick one call that you were not involved with, you know, from the history of the Yankees, okay? So that's a lot of years before you got there, okay? A lot of years since, but a lot of years before. If you could tell one call from one game, what call would it be? What would you want to call that you missed in Yankee history? Oh, boy. What a question. What a question. Um, in one of the many World Series between the Yankees and Dodgers, Mickey Mantle batting left-handed at a grand slam to left field at Evans Field, left center field mm -hmm. in the upper deck, and I wish I'd made that call. That, was, that would have been great. How about Jackie and Yogi? Would you like to have called that? Oh, yeah, sure. Sure. I saw that. I saw the Mantle Grand Slam on TV as well. Um, 
You know, I, you know about the Yankee thing and stuff. I thought you were going to ask, which I would have given a different answer. What teams would I have liked to have called? I feel the most unknown great Yankee teams began in 1936 with Joe D, and they won. The pennant and the World Series, four straight years. And then they finished just a couple of games out in 40. And then they won the pennant in 41, 42, and 43. And won the World Series in 41 and 43. So I thought those Yankee teams were great. And no one knows them. They remember 27. Oh, the War Years. You know, the War Years. They remember 98. Yeah. But yeah, the War Years. I, I wish I had so. seen Joe DiMaggio play when he was a young man. That would have been something. That would have been something. Well, Flip says I have one question. We have John Sterling. I want to ask two dozen questions, but I'm not going to. It is a um, – I think it would be a crime if we didn't ask some current events, uh, given that you are the radio voice of the Yankees. Uh, given the season that they've had so far, who do you think is the MVP of this team? Oh, DJ LeMayhew. Um, I do think um, – I'm glad you asked that, Kevin, because – this has been a tremendously exciting season. I love it. Um, I've never seen more injuries. They go down like flies. Uh, they played a game last night. Listen to this. Imagine if you had a ball club and you were missing Glaber Torres, Luke Voigt, Eddie Encarnacion, Aaron Hicks, and Gary Sanchez. <laughs> And John Carlos five Stanton. guys in your lineup, all five are great hitters. So what do they do? They hit five home runs and score 14 runs. And Gio Urshela, who I have fallen in love with, he's the nicest kid. He and Glaber. Uh, but uh, the, the guy who changed a lot of things for the Yankees is DJ LeMayhew. He kind of taught them, you know, you can wait on the ball and go the opposite way, and et cetera, et cetera. And he plays phenomenal defense at three different positions. So I'd say he's the MVP of the Yanks. I couldn't agree more. And I'd probably say Aaron Boone is right there with him. I know he's not a player, but the way he's oh, handled boy. this team. Is, yeah, I agree. He's done a heck of a job. Talk about, um, you know, mixing and matching. He's had a mix and match. He and Larry Rothschild, they have a mix and match as pitching staff, which has not been great. And um, and here the Yankees are 35, 36 games over 500 and, and are fighting the Dodgers and Houston for the best record in baseball. And it's been sensational. And the, look at the people they don't. You know, Gio Urshela has more home runs than Aaron Judge. <laughs> that amazing? That is amazing. John, it's been terrific having you. We appreciate the time as much as anything. And I know Kevin and I could go on forever with you, but I know you got to get ready. You got to get to the ballpark. And uh, we appreciate the time you gave us. And I will, on a personal note, I just want to say how much I appreciate the, your years at Yes and what you've contributed to us. And because uh, it wouldn't have been the same network had you not been part of it. So we thank you for that. And thank you for your time well, today. Well, thank you. Let me tell you this um, you've been a great boss, too. Always up. Always up, and um, so I thank you for that. It's been my pleasure to do it. I hope I've given good answers, and I hope it works. Oh, it was great. And, John, next time I see you, I want that Kevin Sullivan home run call. <laughs> I'll <laughs> oh, work on and it. And a flip right. call. I gotta, you can tell me what I see in the radio. Come over and say hello one day. All right. Thank you so much, John. We'll talk to you. So, Flip, the highlight of that interview uh, for me was when John Sterling called me Sully. All right. <laughs> Is your nickname. 
Yeah, I love it. And next time I see him, I'm for sure going to ask him for that home run call. Scully. Not quite like Vince Scully. <laughs> Far from it. Far from Vince Scully. Is that going to be the call? Oh, are we going to get Vince Scully? We should get Vince Scully. Oh, I know. Yeah. We should probably say who we have next week, right? We promised. We did. You promised. I promised. I, you, I don't even know who we have. Who we have? Next week on this show, <laughs> Curtain Call, Episode 3, right. we have none other than Chris Mad Dog Russo. Oh, that's going to be awesome. It's going to be he's awesome. He's a great guest. He's uh, a great guest. He's very, very fun. He's got great stories. And uh, he's been around a long time. People don't realize how many years now he's, he's been around. So uh, he's got a lot to say. He's, he's not bashful about his opinions. And he's very entertaining. And, you know, he's a great guest. We did a center stage with him on Yes. And that was one of our best center stages, I thought. I just need him to call me Sully, and then it's complete. <laughs> that's it. It's complete. I'm good. How <laughs> about if I call you Sully? You can call me Sully. I call you Flip. Sure. Flipping yeah. Sully. Flipping Sully. <laughs> Flipping Sully. Uh, a reminder, please, rate, review, subscribe. That's how uh, the algorithm works. That's how it helps us out here. So if you want to show appreciation for us, that's the best way you can do it. Uh, five stars only, please, right? That's it. It's, it's like a, an Uber or a Lyft ride. <laughs> right? Do they have stars? Yeah, I took the worst Uber to the stadium the other day. Why One star. One star. Really? Yeah. Just break, wow. start, break, go, break, go. It was awful. A difficult person driving a car? Yeah, it was, yeah it was, they weren't very good. Okay, so you gave, is, is there such, could you give someone no stars? I don't know. I don't think so. I think one's one is the, the lowest. lowest. Yeah. yeah. I think when they get the idea that they need to improve. I've driven in your car, you'd get a five. Well, you better say that. You won't drive in my car anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you got to give it a five. Uh, so, what do you think? Episode two is almost in the books. Almost in the Not can. Not bad. Almost in the can. I liked it. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I could talk to Sterling all day. All day. Because he's got so many stories. He's such an interesting person. He's a character, no doubt. He's a true, unbelievable character. But, you know, this, he's been around. He's a legend. And uh, he, he's part of the, the broadcasting landscape and, and, uh, and has made an impression on it for sure. And I love when you asked him how he handles the criticism. Because he yeah. hears the he he sees the criticism he hears yeah, it he does get a lot of it, uh, but know, it doesn't bother him. I think it does bother him. You think so? It has to bother. I mean, no one likes to be criticized. I, I think it bothers him. Has to bother him somewhat. But listen, it's also balanced. It should be more than balanced by the love he gets from the fans. He can't go anywhere. The fans always want to hear their nicknames. What do you think about this or that? The, he's beloved by the Yankee fans. Beloved as well. He should you know, be. And you know. So the media has some people in the media don't, don't appreciate him, don't like him, don't like his style. I understand that, but at the end of the day, he's got a lot of love of the, of the fans, and uh, he, you know, he, he's a he's a good broadcaster. He really is. He really is, and another good uh, person behind the mic is Chris Mad Dog Russo. That'll be next week. Um, for now, that's episode two. I'm Kevin Sullivan. I'm John Filippelli. I, I really look forward to Chris Russo. By the way, it'll I be fun. It's gonna be a lot of fun. So. Uh, that's curtain call. So uh, we look forward to seeing you next week. Or say we would see you. We'll have dialogue. Hopefully. By the way, how do they get in touch with us? Is we have a Facebook page oh, or we have any a, of that stuff? What do we have? Great here? call. Actually, great call. Try to get us our, our name out there. Come out here, Kev. Okay, on Twitter we are curtain call yes at curtain call yes at curtain call yes. Yeah, and, and you know what people need to be doing is tweeting us, telling us who we they want to see. We've gotten great guests so far. We could keep getting great guests, we, but who we, they want to hear? Who they want to hear? My right. bad. You know, yeah. Uh, uh, yep. It's your bad, but it's okay. <laughs> we were so on the please same page. tweet us. Yes, please. You uh, have homework, fans. Whatever, whatever social media device you have, we're e- either on it or close to being on it. And if we're not on, it, somebody will get the message anyway, and they'll get it to us. So. 
please, whatever it takes, uh, we we appreciate. It. We really need to hear from you though. So so please call us, write us, uh, you know, find Kevin wherever he may be. Hunt him at down. Sullivan, yes. At Sullivan, yes. What's mine? Do you know mine? At Flip, yes. Yeah, I think it is. All right. There you go. <laughs> Very good. 